0: hey everyone welcome back to make it happen mondays where we talk about sales business entrepreneurship personal growth mental health and everything in between with guests who i truly respect and i think make a positive impact on the world around us today's conversation is with soren kaplan who has a pretty impressive resume includes being a best-selling author a keynote speaker and consultant to companies like disney red bull cisco and pepsi founder of multiple companies himself and he also has a master's and phd degree in organizational psychology what caught my attention about soren was his work around the topic of experiential intelligence now we all know iq and eq but soren dives deep into the importance of xq or experiential intelligence, and how that guides many of our decisions and actions as we are today. So, we start the conversation by going back on both of our personal experiences growing up and how those experiences have shaped us into who we are today. Now, I was real curious why some people take childhood trauma and use it as a motivator, while others in the same family let it define them and ultimately limit their beliefs. We went on to talk about the value of the traditional education system and how it needs to evolve to include more experiential learning and how there's a cultural lag in how we react to technological advances i found this to be an absolutely fascinating conversation and i hope you do too let's make it happen
1: what's happening make it happen family big shout out to our partners today gong vidyard and chili piper Gong's data is more than valuable. It's cornerstone in any organization looking to collect the data that's going to tell them where they can improve and where they need to spend their time making changes. Vidyard makes it easy for people to use videos anywhere. No matter whether you're sending videos in email or on social media, posting them somewhere or sending them in a DM, Vidyard has got you covered. Our friends at Chili Piper are so much fun to be around. They make it easy for people to get on your calendar and Every sales rep has got to have this function locked in. It's one of the most important things we can do as a seller. How can I get you on my calendar easily? Chili Piper can make that happen for you. Be sure that you're checking out all these great tools. And now let's pass it over to John to find out who's joining him today. See you soon, everybody.
0: Soren Kaplan, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here, John. Yeah, appreciate you reaching out I'm really interested in this conversation for multiple reasons um and appreciate you reaching out because I've been following some of the stuff that you've been doing and as a prep for this and uh love like so for the audience we're going to be talking about experiential intelligence and and it's that next stage here but to get into that first uh so let's talk about your experience let's go back uh give the give the uh, audience here a little Preview of of where you're coming from and, and uh, how you got to where you are right now. And then we'll take it from there. As that sure story.
2: thing. Um, professional background and then a little on the personal side, because yeah. personal always ties to professional. Um, so I formerly ran the uh, internal strategy consulting group at HP's uh, Hewlett Packard in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, had a consulting firm, have had a consulting firm for 25 years, probably worked with 30 of the Fortune 1000, Visa, Colgate, Medtronic. Kimberly Clark, Disney, um, in the areas of innovation, product service development, business model, strategy, as well as leadership development. Um, and I've had a consult, uh, consulting and software company called Praxy.com, which is a SaaS platform for best practices and strategy and innovation and HR and various things, uh, out of, kind of out of the box. Um, so, you know, that I've kind of morphed all of the work that I've done into packaged up best practices on the software side. Um, and then I've got this new book that just came out um, called experiential intelligence. And it's all about how you take your life's experience mm-hmm. and understand it. So you can leverage your strengths that you bring that make you unique. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, what's on the horizon in terms of kind of getting the word out about experiential intelligence these days.
0: Well, and to to tie into that your experience um i was reading about your your you wrote it on your website your childhood and and how it was rather interesting in 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 more than a few ways you had a dad who was working all the time and into some spiritual stuff so he wasn't around a lot you moved around 15 times um you know your mom had some issues so so talk us through that like what were because i always you know obviously who we are as children kind of turn us to who we are and, and the nature nurture factor is going to be huge as far as this conversation is concerned. So how yeah. did, uh, maybe some of the highlights and how it shaped you?
2: Yeah. Um, so, you know, my, my insight just having worked in business for a long time is that a lot of people ignore the factors that shape them and then the triggers that they have like, mm-hmm. and, and it just gets in either gets in the way, like really creates dysfunction in an organization or a team or you just don't understand what's making you tick, so you can't optimize like your strengths and lean into them and leverage them. Now I, I, you know, through various things in my own life, I had to kind of kind of come to grips with some of the things that I was uh, dealing with because of my childhood. Now I, like you said, I my mother had a mental illness. Got she got it when I was three. My father was rarely around. He was kind of focused on some kind of alternative spiritual communities here in uh, California, um, and and I moved uh, sixteen times before I was fifteen. Now I, it was uh, looking back, it was a pretty traumatic childhood. However, as I kind of addressed some of the trauma, but then re- recognized like those things gave me the ability to live with a lot of uncertainty. Look at patterns in kind of social environments to kind of figure out what's going on. Use, you know, kind of limited data to pivot and, you know, make decisions. And then I realized as I was looking back, it's like I kind of stumbled into innovation, culture transformation, strategy. It's like I'm using those things that actually were, you know, I developed, you know, not despite my trauma, but because of it. So I'm like, wow, like, how do I help other people understand that their life's experiences give them strengths, no matter really what they are. It's just a matter of how do you kind of understand them and look for them and kind of decipher them.
0: You said something that was interesting. You said, once I viewed my experiences in a different light, so there was like an inflection point because because it always fascinates me people who use these experiences to strengthen and ultimately become stronger because of them versus people who use the who have these experience impact them in such a negative way and i'll use my wife as a perfect example like she grew up in a rather you know i don't want say traumatic but her dad was piece of shit, basically, you know what I mean? And yeah. he wasn't there, didn't really have the dad gene. And and they got and he got divorced uh, from my wife's mom, when I think my wife was probably six or seven or seven or eight. And her her sister was 1314. Right. So my wife used that as motivation to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to succeed despite this hand I've been dealt. Her sister took the exact opposite, right? Her sister is now stuck in a world of depression and, and all sorts of stuff. And it all stems back from that trauma when she was a kid. So for you, I mean, because I mean, look, I I got a 12 year old daughter right now, I can't imagine I've said I'm, I am, quote unquote, stuck in my in my house now, as much as I hate the winter here in Boston, and my wife hates the winter here in Boston, I'm looking at snow right now, which I'm not a big fan of, you know, we're, we're, quote unquote, stuck here until she graduates high school, right? Because I I don't want to move her all over the place. So, so what was that inflection point for you? And why do you think some people take it as a motivator? And some people take it as a as I don't want to say excuse, but but you know, it, it drags them down as opposed to pushing them up.
2: Yeah. That's a great, it's a great question. Um, the things that happen to us and I'll say that, you know, it's, it's what happens to us as we're young and we're growing up, like things happen to us. It's not like, you know, a a child has a lot of discretion. Things happen and you respond. Now those things that happen create oftentimes uh, beliefs about yourself, about Mm -hmm. the world, about other people. And so those beliefs can, you know, they can be positive too. Like, you know, you can have a belief, like, you know, you can do anything or whatever it is, but they can also be self-limiting beliefs. And the trauma kind of the the trauma stuff oftentimes creates self-limiting beliefs. Like, you know, your wife's father, piece of shit. My -hmm. father was not around and didn't want to spend time with me. And so, you know, those self-limiting beliefs, like I'm not worthy of attention. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I, you know, I, I I don't deserve the successes that I, you know, can, Mm -hmm. could potentially create those things can really get in the way of your goals. And so for me, I had a number of different, you know, kind of struggles personally with, you know, separation from my wife and struggles with my uh, two daughters And I just, I was tried to, you know, kind of look internally as much as possible and say, what are these things getting in my way? The fear of disconnection with other human beings. So I didn't, you know, discipline my daughters and kind of provide a structure. I was kind of loosey goosey dad. (laughs) And, you know, those, those are very personal things to me, but there's some patterns that exist that actually apply more broadly. And it's it's, it's psychology, it's neurology, it's sociology. When those things combine, you can start to realize that we all are impacted by our experiences. And we all have things to overcome, but we all have assets that we've gained from them. And so what I was able to do through a lot of work, being vulnerable with people I trust doing some you know therapeutic work called EMDR, which is eye movement to sensation response which basically kind of rewires your brain from trauma there's a lot of research on that um, and i I addressed some of the bigger things and then I was able to say wait i I can look at my my own internal world a little bit differently meditation also helps by the way um, to kind of kind of get grounded and so there was a bunch of things I did. Um, But it was kind of hitting rock bottom as I defined it for myself. And then kind of recognizing that, you know, there's some patterns that exist that I needed to address in myself. But then there's broader patterns that I think I can help other people address, too. Um, And so, you know, that's kind of how I came to came to it all.
0: What was that? Um, what was the I, the, the acronym you use for the yeah, therapy? It's called I...
2: EMDR. And it's been used a lot. There's a great book called "The Body Keeps the Score." Um, right. and it's it, it's really a groundbreaking he this this author describes it. It wasn't invented by him, but EMDR is a way it's used been used a lot with PTSD and uh war trauma. And it essentially, as you have an experience as a child, usually or, or any other trauma, your brain actually wires together the visceral response of that experience. So when something like, let's say, you know, you had some traumatic experience of being belittled a lot when you were a child and you actually get viscerally, when somebody says something negative to you, you kind of viscerally get tight. Well, it, you 20 years later, you could be in a work meeting and if you feel belittled, you might respond and reactively and it's wired into you. It's not like it's, you're a bad person. You might just get triggered because your manager says something that you, that brings you back to that experience. And so through EMDR, you essentially, there's some very simple techniques that are very powerful, rewires your brain and you overcome those triggers, which then creates a greater presence in your kind of body and in your mindset so that you can go through life much more grounded and you combine some of that with like meditation and you then be can be open yourself up to be more aware of your own internal process and see your strengths in a new light and that's exactly the dynamic that I I went through and it, it's it's helped me personally back together with my wife family doing great my businesses are doing great and and so like y- you can like look at how what you need to heal from but then what you can leverage because you see things differently after that yeah
0: totally yeah it's that frame of mind is you know I've been talking a lot about the the shift that you make from you know and you said it earlier there's, there's as a child life happens to you right but then as an adult you have a choice whether life happens for you or to you And there are two types of people on this planet where life happens to no matter how old they get and how experienced they are. And there's another switch where life happens for that person. And it's the same switch when you realize like it's easier to go make $10,000 than it is to go save $10,000, right? Right, But everybody's stuck on saving $10,000. But if you just shifted that mindset to say, let me go figure out how I can make $10,000. It's
2: a totally different game. And and so those mindsets get instilled early on a lot of times or over a period of time. So you know the the notion that and and it can be different for different people. That's that's some of the other challenge. But like I grew up with very little materially. Like I, we didn't have a lot of money. So I've always been very thrifty, and like that saving mindset is something that's that's in me. But I also have recognized I, I need to be entrepreneurial because I need to create. Like no one's going to create it for me. So like those two things actually have been quite helpful. Like I'm always really thrifty and I'm always kind of going like, what's the next big, what's the next deal. So, you know, those, if you can kind of decipher kind of, if you understand yourself and then you can look at those things and you can appreciate them and actually they can become part of your culture as a team, as an organization, if you're leading one. Um, but let me, let me throw it back to you, John, because like, clearly you, you get it. You gave the example of your wife. I mean, I don't know for your, for yourself. Mm-hmm. When you look at the experiences you had and they could be either positive or, or some of the yeah. bigger challenges you've had, you know, growing up or whatever. Yeah. How do you, what, what were, what were those experiences? And then what were kind of the mindsets you got from them or this, the, the abilities that you got for them that you use today to do what you do? I mean, you're quite successful. So how have you leveraged that? in you know kind of from the past into your present and future uh, maybe you can bring that to life i think
0: people yeah understand. i mean I, I i haven't done a lot you know for me thankfully or not i guess <laughs> um i grew up with a pretty strong uh backgrounds and pretty you know my parents were married for 55 years until my dad passed away um i had the entrepreneurial gene even though i didn't know it though so here's where i think the a certain inflection point was so my mom i'm nine years older than my sister Uh, i'm sorry nine years younger than my sister When my mom had my sister, she was a stay at home, she was there for and everything else. Now, nine years later, my mom has a job at one of the top Wang laboratories. You probably remember them. You know, it was like Salesforce is today. Like if you worked at Wang, holy shit. But I was a kind of a pleasant surprise. I wasn't exactly planned, right? So, but my my mom, at at kind of the height of her career, she said, I want my son to have the same experience my daughter did. So I'm going to quit this high paying, high fluting job. I'm going to go home. And I'm, but not I'm just going to go home. I'm going to go home and start my own consultancy. So when I came home, I lived in a split level and our basement or the you know the bottom level, uh, our, our living room was half and half her office. So every day I came home and I looked to the left and it was her office and I looked to the right and it was the TV. And my dad had always worked for the he was a contractor for the FAA. So he was always there at home, too. So they both worked at home. So I had this like non office DNA in me, even though I didn't know it, which is why when I got into corporate, it felt so wrong to me. I'm like, wait a minute, you're putting me in a box. I got to come into work at night. Like, what the? And I didn't know why it didn't feel right. But then I all of a sudden realized when I got into startups, I'm like, oh, I can breathe here. And, and I think one other kind of on the, on the more traumatic side was, and, you know, after talking to a lot of people about the imposter syndrome and a few other things that I have very deeply, like I, anytime I'm talking to somebody who has a resume that seems, you know, important or, you know, whatever has gone to a college that's smarter than me, I'm always like, Oh man, like, do I believe it? Do I, should, should I be at this conversation? And the funny thing is, is five minutes into it, I'm like, Holy shit. Yeah, I should be in this conversation. This is super easy. But I think the reason is my dad, I absolutely love him to death. He passed away a year and a half, two years ago coming up here. My dad was one of the smartest people I've ever come across in my life. Like he would say he was a mechanical engineer. He got his PhD at Brown. He taught, you know, he taught calculus while he was getting his PhD. And, and I remember, I don't wanna say being intimidated by his intelligence, but almost looking at it like, I could never be that smart. You know what I mean? And, and then to tie that, I remember vividly when I was a kid, probably my earliest negative memory was when I was reading a book, um, I, spe- I, I kind of said a word wrong or something like that, or I mispronounced it, and my, and my dad laughed. And when he laughed, I, I remember holding it together while I was reading, but then I went in my bathroom and I cried because I, I, like, I felt like he was making fun of me. So guess what I don't like to do today? I don't like to read. I genuinely do not enjoy reading. I fa- I think my brain is, has has compounded it because now I fall asleep when I read. You know, I read 5-6 pages of a book and my brain brain says, "Fuck you. I don't want to do this anymore." And I and I get tired, I get lethargic, I get, you know, and so between and I've always said I'm not the smartest kid in the room. Like I know I'm not the smartest kid in the room and I always diminish my overall intelligence. And we'll break this down into EQ IQ because I yeah, believe I, I have a very high EQ. My IQ is average, you know, slightly above average, maybe whatever. Uh, but my experiential, uh, is, is really strong yeah. and I, and that's what I'm applying today. And so those are the kind of the, some of the thresholds for me of where I've realized how they've used to shape me to where I am right now. Cause I have the very same last point I'll make is I have the very same thing as you. I feel like I've been blessed with an opportunistic mindset where I can look at situations and with very limited data points, I can usually make a pretty good call and not overanalyze it and jump into it. Whereas other people would overanalyze the shit out of whatever it was, and they would take too long to make the decision.
2: The, um, some of that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that that is incredibly insightful. And if you, we decipher it a little bit more, just in terms of kind of your experiences delivered certain beliefs, as well as abilities, mindsets, as well as abilities that then has led to certain assets that you have that are, lead to your success. Now, you know, the, the challenges, like you just, we talked about kind of the imposter syndrome and the reading, you know, clearly mm-hmm. you looked up to your father, there were, you put certain standards on yourself yep. when he laughed about the word mispronunciation, you probably experienced some shame uh, around that. Yep. And then you didn't want to feel that again. And so you decide, so, you know, you kind of shut down the reading gene. Um, It's in there and you can always kind of get it back is, is also the point, but you know, that, that also means like, you kind of don't want to take a risk perhaps around reading and <laughs> reading in public or just, you know, whatever it is. And so it, it, that's a great illustration of the self-limiting beliefs and barriers that can be created. And, you know, if, if it, that concept of risk, I mean for you, it might just be you know reading out loud in a group, and I'm making that up, but you know for other people, it can be about risk around literally like starting a business or failure, like you can't fail and if you can 't fail, then you're never going to be entrepreneurial, so you know th- it can be bigger as as a point, but you also illustrated like your the example of your mom, like what a great role model like you know she wanted to give you something and she you know created the home office well for however many years you were going out into the living room and seeing the work ethic and seeing kind of the flexible work environment um you know kind of the way pre-covid that now everybody's kind of got the same thing going on like you you learned and you saw and you absorbed that role modeling that then says hey you know if we want to do something in life you quit your job you you know you do something different you kind of change kind of change things up and it works out And so you kind of have a, now a mindset, there you go, make it happen, you know, make it happen is what it's all about. So, um, you know, you, you've just illustrated both sides of the coin is my, my point. Mm -hmm. And there, you can even look at your awareness of the, of kind of the challenge as a strength too, because not everybody's aware (laughs) of those, of those things. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, and it's interesting because you know, this is why I'm glad mental health is, is being talked about more often um, because it does need sometimes somebody else to help. A lot of times somebody else to unlock it for you. I mean, I'm, I use my, my podcast here as almost an open therapy session. You know I mean? I, I, some woman was, you know, jumped on a webinar for us and talked about imposter syndrome. I was like, shit, I got imposter syndrome. Come on, let's have a conversation. And as she dug into it, she was like, well, let's talk about it. And she just so what's your earliest memory? And I kept going back and going back. And I was like, damn, I did. All right you know, cause I've always diminished my intelligence. I've always said, well, you know, I've, I've worked my ass off. I got a 3.6, so I did but I had to work my ass off for it. And, you know, I'm not going to go to Harvard, blah, 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 blah. Who fucking cares? But I've also diminished education. And this is where I want to tra- take this because, because I've diminished in my mind, education, the value of it and all that other stuff, as far as like, you know, the traditional education, um, it, I changed my opinion recently um, on my disdain for uh, institutional education with, with Neil deGrasse. So Neil deGrasse, he said, you know, because everybody talks about calculus, right? Like, who the fuck needs calculus? Like, in, in your like, if unless you're going to be a professor, blah blah blah. Like, who the fuck needs calculus, right? And I've always said that. It's like, hey Siri, you know, what's the square root of eight trillion nine hundred? Like, I don't need that. Like, my teachers, I'm sure t- same to you. Is like, I always used to ask, like, why do I need to know this? And they'd be like, well, it's not like in the future you're going to be walking around with a calculator in your pocket. It's like, uh, hey, uh, Mrs. Reed, yes, I am. But what he said was, it's not. That's what everybody says. He's like, it's not about calculus. It's about learning calculus because the way you the way your brain works to try to figure out calculus is wiring your brain in a certain way so that in the future you can figure out other stuff doesn't even have to be math oriented it's the way it's wiring your brain and so could you help me answer the question of what the value of higher education is right now with that as a caveat because I'm sitting there looking at what happened with ChatGPS. There's a million different ways to, to make money right now for kids. And going into school for $200,000 worth of debt to get a $40,000 a year job and have to live you know, based on somebody else's rules for the life, like that playbook is over. So could you help me understand where formal education has a real value to it and then how we're evolving here and what we should be focusing on to teach these kids as opposed to what we've been teaching them for the past 50 yeah. years in the industrialized revolution area of education.
2: Well, let me, let me cut through some myths first. Um, yeah. So what percentage, let me, let me throw this back at you. What percentage of someone's success is tied to their IQ score? Uh, my opinion is,
0: I would say very low. I would say uh, sub 20%.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's typically the response I get. And there's no concrete data that actually answers that question. But most people have come to the conclusion that at least in today's disruptive world, it's low. Mm -hmm. And that's because, you know, what is an IQ score? It's this test that has been around for a hundred years, but it's been ingrained in our culture. Just like you said, I think you said earlier, like if you're talking to somebody who went to Harvard, feel like a kind of a piece of shit cuz like you know like i couldn't get into harvard and and neither could i you and i have the same gpa by the way um so you know b- both i think that there's this cultural undercurrent and assumption the smarter you are the more successful you'll be in business but even in life there's like this kind of like oh you're really smart you got you, you got it made like no that's bullshit so really what is the secret sauce for today's world is two things. Well, it, it, the the intelligence is kind of the intellectual intelligence, kind of that left brain. That's the analytical side. Th- there is some merit to that, of course. Yeah. You can't be so, an idiot. You know, yeah, like... <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But there's two other factors. You have emotional intelligence. Now, that's that was introduced 50 years ago. It got popularized in the 1990s through the book, Emotional Intelligence by Dan Goleman, And it's the recognition. Now for salespeople, it's really important because it's the recognition that being in touch with your own emotions and then the emotions of other people is an absolute success factor in business and life and leadership. And, and so I, I truly believe that. And if you're a salesperson, you need to read people, you need to understand kind of how they're responding. You need to know yourself. If you're getting frustrated, you're going to turn them off, all that kind of stuff then there's the experiential intelligence too. So, okay. Yeah. The analytical mind, the emotional side, and then what are the mindsets that you bring to it? What are the abilities you have? And kind of what are the key skills that your, your brain, your know-how that's experience. So your experiences, the more you can have experiences and get to your higher ed question, the better because those, the experience of doing calculus It's not about the it's not about calculus. It's about the experience of doing it that gives you know-how and gives you the ability to kind of connect complex ideas or whatever that then you apply to some other context later down the line that you're not even thinking. Oh, I'm able to make connections in this organization from you know from this product to this you know kind of business model, and it's because of calculus. No. It just becomes who you are. That's your experiential intelligence. So the the idea here is that you want to create as many experiences as possible. So there's a university called Minerva University. They're in San Francisco. There's a bunch of kind of Silicon Valley folks that funded them. But the idea is that it's a higher it's higher ed, but you go to school virtually. They're trying to create a scalable model, but you they have their students living in like six or eight different countries. So that you get that visceral, you know, kind of life experience. And then they also place them in internships that are real practical, like like IDEO would be an example, like a product design firm in Silicon Valley. And, and so what these students are getting is deep experience. And so, you know, it, is higher ed's days numbered? I think the traditional gatekeeping function of a diploma is numbered. I think higher education has to reinvent itself. The business model's broken and the approach is broken, but there's still value if you make it about experience and you make the business model unbroken. <laughs> there's a lot of, you. Can, that could be a whole other conversation, but you know, it's, it's, it's that experiential component. Now you can get that experience other places. Now that's the other point. Like, do you need, like, a lot of companies right now are getting rid of the requirement of a, a college degree, diploma, to have an interview and to get a job. Like Google has their certificates that you can go get, and then you just get a job and it, you know pay a hundred bucks. So I think a lot of organizations are recognizing if you use that as a gatekeeping function, you're you're locking out the talent that's going to drive your future. So you got you can't do that anymore. Um, universities haven't fully figured it out, and I think that we've we've got to reinvent the model there as well. Yeah,
0: there's no question. My sister, again, nine years older, um, she went to Northeastern University here in Boston, and I love their model. It's semester on, semester off, semester on, semester on. You learn something, then you go get an internship. Then you learn something, then you go get an internship. And what was beautiful about that was my sister graduated, not necessarily knowing what she wanted to do, but she graduated absolutely knowing what she didn't want to do. <laughs> right, And so it gave her a different perspective. And I just wish all colleges were like that, where it was just like, you learn something, you go apply it. You learn something, you go apply it.
2: Funny anecdote, my daughter... Um... During COVID, I think she was like a sophomore in college, um, and COVID hits, and she's just like, "I'm not doing this virtual thing. Like, fuck this." Yeah. <laughs> <mind Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, that. "Okay, yep. well, we can fund you for you know six months, and then you're just on your own. Like, no five two nine plan. You're you're done." Yep. And yep. within that a period of time, she got a job running marketing at a big real estate company, and also created her own social media marketing firm. And now she's like totally support. She's, she went back to school after like two years, but she's got a thriving business and she's now in school going, you know, these professors are a little ivory tower. They kind of don't know how the real world works. And she does because of the experience that kind of was forced upon her. Or she forced herself to have. And that's just a wonderful little testament, I think, to the value of taking a year off, or taking a gap year or whatever it is, To give yourself life experience and those internships, um, also like just volunteer, you know, if you can afford it, volunteer and do something on the side and just get those experiences under your belt. And then the experiential intelligence side is to extrapolate from those experiences. What did you learn in terms of how you think differently now and communicate that? And the abilities that you gained that are kind of, yes, skills are, skills are important. Those are kind of like the blocking and tackling. I can use, you know, Word and Excel, but the abilities around, Oh, I can do a competitive analysis. I can think, I can think about business models and I can define a business model. Those are the higher order abilities. So, you know, if you can create those experiences and even on your, you know, even if you are in the business world now, look at your resume and think about what are those knowledge? knowledge the 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 knowledge and skills the higher order abilities and then what you bring in terms of mindsets and usually that's
1: what's being looked for these days when people are hiring so just yeah. a thought there What's up, everybody? I know you're enjoying this conversation. John does a great job with genuine curiosity on these episodes and our guests consistently bring the heat. We want to take a moment here and let you know that you've got an opportunity, an opportunity to become better than you were yesterday. And you can do so by gaining access to all of JB Sales content. All of their training tips, techniques, tactics, and takeaways can be yours for $1 a day. $365 for the year gets you annual access to everything, in including our private Slack channel for members only, which you get access to all of us directly, 100% of the time, 24 hours a day. And then at the same time, you're gonna get access to our bi-weekly Ask Me Anything sessions, where you can bring real deals to the table, and get the help that you need where you need it. This is very, very important. Sales reps that invest in themselves are often found at the tops of their leaderboards. Join us today and get the help you need to become the seller that you deserve to be. That URL, one more time, is joinjbsales.com. Let's get back to the show with JB and our guest for this week. Why
0: don't you think we, as a Western society, celebrate experience as much as Eastern cultures do, for instance, like we don't like there's that whole, uh, I think there's, there's a survey that they do in regions. And it's like, if you were on a boat, and you could only save one person, and your it was your child, your wife and your grandmother, who would you save? Here in the US, it's the kid a 1000% of the time, because it's like they haven't lived their life. And they have they need a chance, right? Most other East like China, all those cultures, they would save the grandparents. And they respect their elders. They don't just stuff them in old folks' home and say thanks see you later. And, and and I bring this up because I'm I'm disappointed in myself for not realizing this sooner. You know, I used to go and uh, my buddy had uh, season tickets to the Patriots, right, for years, and we would go every Sunday. And his well, his dad is the one who had season tickets, right. And his dad, big guy, he would literally just sit there and read his paper the whole time. And I'd be like, hey, Joe, what's going on, Joe? Hey, but yeah, Mr. LaVangie, Mr. LaVangie type of thing, right? And I never engaged with him. I never, you know, maybe a few niceties, whatever. And when he passed away, his obituary, I read his obituary. And I, I, I was so disappointed in myself because like he had had four startups he he was part of two venture capital firms like and i'm like the amount i could have learned from this guy just by sitting down for one beer a weekend with him and just taking a half an hour out of my binge drinking fest there would have been immense i would have been able to get my mba from this guy but yet we all are like oh that's so and so's dad oh that's grandpa like who cares like why do you think we devalue it so much in western western culture
2: it's a great question. I, I, our culture, um, and, and the way it's evolved, we, we really want instant gratification. We want instant results. Um, we want quantifiable kind of value. We're very financially driven, and motivated yeah. in our culture as well. Um, and so when you, when you look at those things, the, the patience required, and the work required to hear someone's story and then internalize it in terms of well, what are the, what did, what am I learning from it and then how does it apply to me? So it's like it kind of takes work. Yeah. Um, oh, takes a lot of work, yeah. So, so, so <laughs> w- when when you look at other cultures, I, I traveled. One of the greatest gifts my father gave to me. My father was was like I mentioned not around a lot but he was very connected to some of the eastern mystics uh in india and he gave me a trip i traveled alone right when i graduated college to india for a couple weeks and it blew my mind and those kinds of experiences you know it kind of taught me that there's so many there there's a there's different cultures like you know the that culture really values experience and kind of daily presence and meditation and you know the it's changing a little bit now but like when i was there in the 1990s you know there was there was no you know i I think i saw a domino's pizza driver on a scooter and that was the only like western influence in the the whole country um and you know it's it's there's a presence of, you know, every moment is experience. And if every moment's experience, how do you really recognize what's happening around you, where the, you know, kind of energy and connections are with other people and kind of being very grounded in that. And we are in our culture here, there's a movement towards that to a certain extent, but I think we're still so much future focused. There's anxiety about what's going to happen tomorrow and next week and all of the conflict that we have politically and socially is, is infusing itself in not being able to be present. And I think that that's a, a challenge we face as a culture. And yeah. it's, it's actually, you know, kind of sounds maybe you know, a little bit woo woo, but at the same time it gets in our way of really understanding what are are our strengths and how do we leverage them and how do we learn so that we don't repeat mistakes and actually we can make real, you know, strategic progress. So, you know, it's, you know, there's a, there's a softness to it, but a real practical application if you can kind of do it well.
0: Yeah. I think the, the short-term focus gets you short-term results, right? And if you, if you look at this from a very, very, uh, you know, arc of history, if you will, you know, the US has only been around for a couple hundred years. You know what I mean? Like those Eastern cultures have been around for thousands and thousands of years. And so we've, I, and and look, good for us here short term, like we, we came on the scene and boom, you know, rose to the top pretty damn fast. The question is, is are we going to stay here? And it's looking more and more like we want, we aren't because we're still trying to take this short term approach to long term survival, if you will.
2: Yeah. And I I think that also, you know, the, the, what you just said, not to pick on you, but I'll pick on you like rose to the top. It's like, what's the definition of the top? Yeah. yeah, That's, That's you know, it's like, okay, well yeah. Economically powerhouse, like, you know, there's so many opportunities here and I'm not minimizing that. Like there are opportunities in the U S and a lot of people want to come here and like, it's, it's an, it's an amazing environment to, do business and be an entrepreneur and have, you know, kind of success by certain measures. If you can combine that, it's the yin and the yang. It's the both in the end. If you can combine what our society and culture and economy has to offer with a groundedness and a focus and a presence about you then it's like a 10 X opportunity in my view. So it's like, how do you just combine the best of the best? And I think that's where we, we have a turning point in our whole culture. Like can, are we going to go down or are we going to go up and like, let's figure this shit out.
0: Yeah. And we're in it right now. We're at, we're at that inflection point right now. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, how do we, how do we educate the youth, if you will, of, you know, leveraging the experiences of, of people who've been there done that, but also gaining experience as a younger, because let, let's paint this picture, right? Say you've done what you're supposed to do your entire life, like you, you went to school, you know, you got you, you got your degree, you're probably in debt. Uh, you've talked to the test, you've gotten your good SAT score, good for you and all that other stuff. And now you're like, you don't have experience, Soren. like you you have educational experience, but you don't have any real experience. because um, there's this theory that I have that I have in or my discussion around this point is Gen Xer, right? last generation to kind of figure it out right when you and i were kids mom kicked us out of the house said burn down the house you know just don't burn things down be back by dinner see you later right we were we were uh uh what are they called whatever kids that get grown up by the tv right that type of stuff so but now every kid their lives are so structured, it's painful, right? And I look at this with my daughter, right? They, they go from school to this hour to this hour, then they have soccer practice for two hours, then they have, you know, iPad for 30 minutes. Then they do. So they go through their whole lives structured. And then they get out into the real world and they have some idiot like me look at them and say, hey, figure it out. And the kid says, what do you mean figure it out, right? Tell me what to do. And so the the response from somebody who's been there, done that experience, da 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 da, da oh, you don't know what to do? Let me tell you exactly what to do. And in our world of sales, it's, Here's a script. Here's a template. Here's the slide deck. And, and you give a kid a template, a, a slide deck, a script who's been taught to those things their entire life. They will read the template. They will read the script. They will read the presentation. So my, my, my answer to it is structure, not scripts. Give them structure. Let them play within that structure. And, but we have to give it to them because right now they have none. And, and I think without structure, this, this generation is struggling with structure. They'll execute better than you and I ever would.
2: The the concept of experiential intelligence is uh, I've applied it in my book to business and teams and, you know, to a certain extent, psychology, because it's like we're all people and we got to come, yep. you know, see our shit in order to improve ourselves and achieve our goals and stuff. But it, it's a broad concept, just like IQ and emotional intelligence. Yep. Y- you want to think about it as a parent. You want to think about it as a teacher. You want to think about it as a community. And so you're a great example because, you know, the whole helicopter parenting and kind of what the the structure is that the overstructure that's happening. Um, If you think about what builds resilience and what builds creativity, it's lack of structure. It's lack of structure. So Like if you want to be a good parent these days, it's about creating structure for downtime or giving your kid options so they can figure out what they care about and not forcing things on them. Like here's four or five things or let's open the catalog of the community, you know, kind of events that are happening and let's pick one this week. There's various things that we can do within a structure to have unstructured structure. And I think that that is a message that we need to kind of instill more in formal education and higher, you mentioned higher education, also giving people options or, you know, kind of various internships or, you know, kind of, you have to do this, but the world's your oyster, figure it out, figure it out. And so that, I think that those are the, the, the things that we need to provide as structure so that we can build the you know, kind of the the abilities and the way to think about choices think about options think about like what is going to work here and not work here and what do i really care about as a human being because with that overstructure you st- you lose yourself and so we need to help our kids find themselves and build muscle memory around creativity and strategic thinking and you know abilities to navigate uncertainty and all of that kind of stuff
0: yeah i think that's you know it's a challenge because of the demands right now and i think to going back to the point of i think we're we're at the we're at the inflection point of the breaking of this do you know do everything perfectly and you know because we're watching it fall apart we're watching these kids and and that's the part that kind of scares me the most is, is that these these all these cool tools and all this new technology that's out there. Quick example, I selling like my first few years in sales, I went to every networking event. I you know I literally I co-called all day long, but I would go to every networking event at night and I would shake hands, kiss babies, and you know and just and just get to know people. Right. So when LinkedIn came out it was very natural for me to figure out LinkedIn. I was like, oh, this just puts what I do on steroids. And I I know how to do this and that, but I know how to do it the right way, right? So there's all this technology, but without the context of this technology. So quick example, this kid uh, I was watching on TikTok the other day, he created this, he used ChatGPT to auto respond to every customer service response that came in. And it was a really thoughtful email that you would get if you put in a customer service. But I sat there and I was like, this kid's 16 years old. He doesn't know what customer success is. He genuinely doesn't even know what customer success means. So how can he use a technology? It, but but here's, here's actually my question for you, Sean. Is it a bad thing in the sense that he's using his Different types of intelligence, whether it's IQ or whatever it is, to learn this technology, to do something he doesn't know how to do. And the technology is probably ultimately going to do it better than a human would anyway. So is that a bad thing?
2: I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I, not okay. at all. But but if you if you take a bigger picture look at what's happening in our environment, the term that is happening is called cultural lag. It basically means the technology advances faster than our ability to respond to it. And we've seen that with, I don't even have to go through the list, but you know, the, the idea that, okay, you've got chat GPT, it can now create these algorithms and you can kind of build tools with it that you have really no clue even about what customer success is. Like this kid somehow learned Kind of what it was conceptually, built something and put it out there. And it's like, to me, it's the same thing as he painted a p- painting and put it out there. It might be a piece of shit and no one's going to, you know, people ignore it, or it might be pretty brilliant. He's an ex Picasso and somebody's going to discover him and then put funding behind it and it turns into something, hopefully, of value. So like this, these are, it's just a new creative outlet is how I look at it. But there is the bigger problem of cultural lag and probably the biggest side effect. And you sort of alluded to this as mental health and the mental health challenges and problems that we're seeing now with our youth. And so the technology surpassed our foresight to build in mechanisms to support the mental health of our kids who are using it. And that's a travesty and it's unfortunate and I think all of us can probably point to challenges because of it in certain ways in our communities and our families and, you know, our friends. And we've got to, f- we, I think we, what we need to do is we need to kind of preemptively recognize that our culture, our, you know, our policies, our norms, you know, a lot of times it's the companies that have to build this in because they're just so far ahead of any, you know, any kind of lawmaking or regulatory bodies and be ethical and be foresightful around what's the end goal. Does being at the top mean all about profit or does being at the top mean we're helping people and we're being a benefit to society and we're creating a strong culture because we want to compete globally and we need different things other than an economic, you know, economic powerhouse to compete globally. We want like, you know, sane people and grounded people and educated people from just the standpoint of just knowing who they are as people. Like like let's redefine the definition of some of this stuff and then take a a leadership position as companies, as teams to address that cultural lag problem.
0: Yeah. I mean, actually it just popped into my head, as you said, the regulatory things is uh, I think this is a great example or a terrible example is what happened with FTX and Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there was, there was like, holy shit, look at this cool technology, basically, it wasn't a monetary thing, it was a technology. And you got all these kids with no financial background, nothing, you know what I mean, playing around with markets and all of a sudden creating billions, if not trillions of dollars worth of wealth, with no regulation. And basically, their only response was, well, it's on the blockchain. So it's like, it's like, okay, thanks. But there's got to be a regulatory factor in here in case I lose my money on blockchain. So I think that was a perfect example of where technology outgrew our ability to under really understand it. And kids without the XQ, were using it to create massive amounts of wealth. And then it all came crumbling down because the foundation wasn't there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And and we've seen this over time. It's a human condition. You can look at the history of bubbles, you know, like I lived through the dot-com bubble, but there was a tulip bubble in Europe like 200 years ago. (laughs) Everybody thought tulips were the the bomb, right? And everybody, literally there was a tulip bubble. So, you know, those kinds of things can, you know, we get ahead of ourselves and you can count on, you know, reactively government and, you know, regulatory bodies to kind of it intervene, but I think we the difference in competitiveness from a societal standpoint will come in self regulation, and we've got to figure that out. Couldn't agree more. One last question is a very
0: pointed one on that on that what causes this? Because I'm just more curious than anything else. And I th- again, I think this is one of the bigger challenges I'm seeing with this newer generation coming into the workforce: the willingness and ability to accept feedback where if if you from a psychology standpoint or whatever going back to like how tying into the fact that i don't like to read with maybe one day my dad you know laughed at me type of thing where does the inability to uh, to receive feedback where might it come from i'm not i'm not saying there's one answer to this but i'll give you a quick example there's people that i've that i've worked with and when i'm giving them feedback especially younger you know gen xers or, or gen z's when I'm giving them very direct, but not like your fired feedback, like just, Hey, you screwed up on that. Let me show you that physically, like you literally like physically see them like recurl back. And I'm like, Whoa, I'm like, are you okay? Are you okay? Like is, are, and they'll be like, Oh no, no, I'm fine. I'm like, and no, no, I like feedback. I want feedback, but they're like, they physically look like they're about to throw up. So where in the world would the, would that experiential component come from about the, the visceral physical reaction to getting any type of feedback? Because I think there's a big fear right now of giving any type of feedback to anybody because there, there's a fear that it, there, it's going to be like, oh my God, you're not sensitive enough. Oh my God, whatever. But feedback is the most important thing that we can give based on our experience. So where does that rooted from? Because I'm trying to figure out if there might be a way that I can uncover it with people to say, hey, did something happen that you don't like this feedback or I can adjust my approach a little bit differently?
2: Is there something that you could point to on that? So it's a a dynamic and a feedback loop. Um, There's certain things you can do to give feedback, but there's also certain things that you can't do because what is feedback to people who recoil from it? It's a threat. And it's a threat to their sense of self. And so it, it it usually is conjuring up some kind of belief about themselves. They're not good enough, they're a failure, they're um you know, it's usually those kinds of things. And yep. and so feedback itself is a threat. Yeah. And so especially with someone you respect. And so, of course, there's, you know, there's whole courses on how do you give feedback and like, you know, kind of be communicate well and all that. And, but at the end of the day, I had my, one of my first bosses, big consult you know, small consulting firm, um, the partner said, you know, I want feedback because it makes me better. It makes me a better person. Like, and and he was even joking, like he had a mustache. He's like, if I have food in my mustache, I want you to tell me because like, how would I know otherwise? And like and and that that little moment i mean this was like 25 30 years ago <laughs> that little moment stuck with me because f- feedback is a gift if if given with with the intention of care and growth now you can't do anything about someone however who has had a, who has those self-limiting beliefs about what feedback means to them and, and i think that that's an opportunity to create a dialogue though about like what the feedback really does mean it doesn't mean this and a lot of times are not conscious of it like you're not thinking i don't want feed i'm recoiling and i don't want feedback because i i'm going to feel like a piece of shit or because i'm you know i believe i'm a worthless person well you don't have to be a psychologist to kind of get like if somebody's struggling with feedback it's probably because they are struggling with something bigger about themselves. So, you know, it, it just by basically saying what you said, you know, I I think this is an opportunity. And this isn't about you as a person. This is about how we can make make things better and how we go after the next deal or how we create a better team. And and then role modeling the vulnerability too. Like, meaning like if you're gonna give feedback, usually you're in a position to, you know, kind of you know, you're leading a team or something and being able to say, here's some of the feedback I used to get, or here's some of the feedback I got recently. And I'm working on these things because the more vulnerable you can be yourself, people pick up on that. They let down their guard and then they can be vulnerable back. And you start to, instead of ratcheting up intensity, you kind of create a, a, a kind of more grounded environment to have those conversations.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, a lot of leaders out there need some help trying to figure out how to create those environments to foster that creativity, to share those experiences. Because there's, it's, it's the rules have changed. Period. Uh, I think COVID was the was the obvious inflection point, but I think it just accelerated what was happening in the first place. And the last analogy I'll use here is, unfortunately, my my favorite team here, uh, the Patriots, <laughs> and Bill Belichick. I genuinely think that the game has passed Bill Belichick by because he is do as I say, do your job, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are. Tom Brady, be damned, even though obviously he's the reason we got at least three of the six championships. But, um, but you know, and, and this new generation coming into the NFL, that's not how they operate. It, they want to know why. They look at themselves as a brand. They're trying to figure out, you know, where they fit. They, they, they need to understand the reasoning behind it. They're not just, you know, do what I tell you to do. And I fundamentally think that is the problem with Bill Belichick right now is that he tried this year... To do things the way that he's been used to doing them. And I think the same thing with managers. We are so far away from the world of do what I tell you to do, make 50 dials today, that, that if the ones who are not picking up on that and sharing their XQ, sharing their, you know, building their EQ of their team, They're those are the ones that reps are going to come and go, you know, within six months of working for their organizations.
2: Yeah, I'm big on goals and also principles, operating principles, because those are more flexible. And then from an experiential intelligence standpoint, you need a diverse team. And I'm I'm using diversity in this most broadest way right now in terms of experiences. Like we all Mm -hmm. have different experiences because we all live different lives. Um, How do you look at your team and decipher and and even say like, what are the things that you've done outside of work, outside of your resume that you think have given you strengths and assets that you can bring to us. And those, that's the new, that that's the new secret sauce of talent management and recruiting is like looking at, broader views of experience and not stuck being stuck with those resumes and then leveraging that in a flexible way and you know stacking your team with the diverse experiences and giving principles that are you know based in real goals but also based in values that are meaningful for yourself and 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 i think that that's how we Try to start to address some of the challenges that you've you've been listing off along the way as we've been talking.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, we're hopefully chipping away. Uh, <laughs> I think we're, we're hopefully at that inflection point. We, we could we can start to move this in the right direction here. Because, uh, you know, if you listen to the news, uh, everything's heading in the wrong direction. But I think we have the opportunity to to do our little part of moving in the right one. And hopefully we did that with this conversation here, Soren. So tell everybody else, uh, tell everybody where I can find out more information about your book, about what you're doing and and uh, follow you and everything else.
2: My website's my name, SorenKaplan.com, S-O-R-E dot com And you can get the first chapter. You can just download it and check it out. Uh, If you do buy the book, I've got a full toolkit with a lot of the kind of practical tools and templates that I've kind of been alluding to and describing as we've been chatting. Um, And then from there, you know, social media on all most of the channels and uh, you can find me there as well. Fantastic. Awesome. Well,
0: I appreciate you coming on here. I really enjoyed the conversation
2: here. John, very insightful questions. And and thank you for uh, bringing to your audience uh, some purposeful, meaningful dialogue as well.
0: Thank you. And everybody listening, hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did and got something out of it to hopefully make you think a little bit differently or do something a little bit differently today. And like I always say at the end of my podcast, go out there and make somebody smile today because no matter how bad your day goes or how bad you think it went, if you make somebody smile today, you know you had a good day and the world needs a lot more of that right now. So thank you all very much and I'll see you on the other side. Thank you so much for your time today and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. With your support and our incredible guests, we're one of the top sales podcasts in the industry with over a million downloads, and I can't thank you enough. To keep the momentum going, if you could go to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. In return, I will answer any question that you have on Instagram. Hit me up there at John Amazon Michael Barrows with a video question or a DM and I will get right back to you, I promise. And last but not least, if you're looking for training, I'm adjusting my training approach this year and I'm actually gonna be delivering training to the masses. I'll be delivering live training the first and second week of every single month with our two marquee courses, filling the funnel and driving a close to anybody who wants to join. And it includes membership in our on-demand platform with weekly AMAs. So you can go to jbarrows.com slash open to check out the details. Thanks again and have a great day.